Morning. How you doing? My name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. I work with uh, the Greenhouse, which is our college age and young adult ministry. Um, before we get into anything, I just want to say Crew's got an amazing ministry on campus. And uh, Courtney and Nathan and John are all incredible people. So if you are a praying person, if you remember, pray for them. Uh, the work that's going on at MSU is just overwhelming. It's, it's challenging enough in a normal year, but yet in, in this year, probably in the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, we have changed our own plans of how we're trying to connect with students on campus at least three or four times. And so I, I can imagine that it's got to be overwhelming for them as well. Um, so I, I was asked to just do a little bit longer intro of myself this morning because we've got a lot of new faces here. So if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you uh, afterward, maybe down in the bullpen here. Um, I became a Christian in 1994 through a ministry at, um, on the college campus that I went to at the University of Illinois in Champaign. And so I'm super grateful for college ministry. Um, I've been working with college students now for 23 years. And uh, the greenhouse is kind of unique because it's not just college students. That's one segment of it. The other segment is young adults. And that, that group of uh, students or young, young people is, is kind of rising uh, up. And we've got a great ministry going on there. So I oversee the college side of things. Dave Schubert, my co-pastor, oversees the young adult side of things. And, um, and so lots of good things going there. I've been married for... 24 years to the same woman. Um, she's an awesome woman. Yeah, I know. I saw some elders out there going, that's good. Um, uh, and um, I was going to expect a picture up here. I've got five kids. My oldest got married this, uh, this May. And, um, and we are super excited about that marriage and our new son-in-law. And, uh, and then um, I've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, um, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. I could tell you their names if I could remember them. I have a hard time with with that, as I get older here, you know, just kidding. But um, I named all my girls pretty much the same name. So every time I say their name, I say it wrong anyway. Um, but uh, we're super excited to be with you this morning. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. God, we, we thank you so much for, for just the fact that you want to teach us. God, you want to speak to us. You want to do something in our lives. You're a God who's always at work. And Jesus said he's always at work to this very day. And, you're, and, and his father's at work too. And so, God, we, we want to ask you to do something supernatural in our lives today. We, we know that even apart from you, nothing's going to happen. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would be just hounding us today. As I preach, you'd hound me as, as we hear that we'd be not just hearers, but doers of your word. And so we lift up uh, our time here in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but for me, like 2020 hasn't really gone the way I was hoping it was going to go. It seems like for, for me, most of the things that I enjoy have been tampered with. Uh, even our ability to gather here as, as a church has been affected, right? We, we wear masks. I'm not the biggest fan of a mask. It's not like the, the greatest joy of my life to wear a mask. We do it, right, because we love each other and we, wanna, we, just, want, we just wanna love each other. That's the whole idea. But the, the, the bottom line is it's, it's like this is far from what, we, what our ideal would be. Um, even in the stuff that I do day in and day out, the highly relational nature of the ministry that I love, uh, I, used, I used to meet regularly with people one-on-one -on -one and we'd you know, help each other grow and mature and we're helping young people come to faith and, and um, even that's been highly affected. We're meeting on, on a computer screen. Um, gospel opportunities that I have been involved with for decades seem like they came to a, a bit of a screeching halt this spring. But when I think about what the past four plus decades of my life ha have been like, most days don't go the way that I want them to. 
let's face it, very rarely does your job go the way that you want it to, or do your kids go the way they want them to, or, or, or do the relationships go the way you want them to. Very rarely does life move the way we want it to move. Everything is off either a little bit or a lot any given day of the year. And so that's why I've chosen Philippians as the next letter that I'm going to preach through. Because life is more consistently inconsistent. And we need a tweak in our perspective to rise above the challenges that today brings. This, this letter that we're going to study is way more than just teaching. It's a life that has been so affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul has learned how to rise above the offness of life. Philippians embodies a life with a single-minded focus. You, if you read this letter, you'll see this over and over and over again. This idea of a single-mindedness or, or having this mind or developing a mindset. And because of Paul's gospel focus, we see that Jesus can transform our mindset so that we can have joy regardless. And as we walk with Jesus, he wants to teach us how we can respond differently to life, regardless, regardless of whatever. And if you know me, I aim my preaching right at me. I, I need this message for my life. I'm a circumstances driven person. I would never have said I was a circumstances-driven person before the coronavirus pandemic, but now I'm convinced that I am. That's who I am. I'm not a regardless person, but I want to become one. And so I'm going to sit in this letter for however long it takes for, for me to finish it. And my hope is that God will transform my perspective through his word. And maybe he'll do the same for you too. And so here's a bit of the background of, of Philippians. You know, so Paul, he's, he's um, a, uh, a pioneer of the gospel. He desired as a missionary to preach the message of the gospel in this city in Rome. Rome was kind of the hub of the, uh, of the great empire, the great Roman empire. And so in his writing in other places in the New Testament, you see Paul talks about his ambition to preach in this city. But instead of going to Rome as a public proclaimer of the gospel, he ends up going to Rome as a prisoner, chained between guards. If you want to read how the story went down, you can go to, and see what Dr. Luke wrote in Acts, starting in chapter one, going, I'm sorry, 21, going all the way through the end of Acts. Be some good reading material for this afternoon. Most people would feel frustrated and discouraged and just about at the end of their rope. But Paul had a different mindset. And so he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi from a prison cell in Rome, and he is going to challenge our mindset and our attitudes. This letter reveals just how much Jesus had really transformed Paul's life. It's, it's a very personal letter. Um, it's one of the most personal letters that Paul wrote. It would be rivaled only by Philemon. He wrote to my people, Italians, who were living in Philippi, a city that was just full of religious cults. And Paul's main reason for writing was just to say thanks. He wanted to thank these people and this church for standing with him and, and really standing with his ministry. And he wanted to encourage them to move toward unity. And so today we're going to jump into Philippians uh, and learn what it would look like 
to become servants regardless. So if you have a Bible, you can flip or tap your way to Philippians chapter one, starting in verse one. And this is what Paul writes. He says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I start a letter in the New Testament, like when I'm reading it just on my own, a lot of times I just kind of blow right past the intro. Anybody else here do that? I'm like, I just want to get to the good stuff. But the problem is when we do that, we oftentimes miss out on the good stuff. And so that's the case here. There's something profound that Paul says right from the beginning. Paul writes that he and Timothy identify as servants of Christ. Well, what's the big deal with this? Well, the Greek word for servant is this word doulos, and it means servants or slaves. GotQuestions.org further defines doulos like this. It says this, one who is subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master, a slave. Now think about that with me for a second. The idea of doulos, it really is a radical word. This is something, this is someone who is so completely surrendered and yielded and available. It says that, again, they're at the disposal of their master. Doulos is, is really a mindset that Paul and Timothy had. And it's one that I believe God wants everyone who follows Jesus to own. See, I'm convinced that many of the issues you and I deal with day in and day out, they really stem from our mindsets or our thinking or our beliefs. If you want to change your life, look at your thinking and your beliefs because you'll move in the direction of your thought life and your mindset. And so Paul and Timothy both knew that. They both decided at some point to approach life as a servant of Jesus. That means their primary attitude their primary identity, their primary way of living would be embodied as a servant of Christ. In other words, how can I lay my life down for the sake of Jesus and his gospel message today? How can I love and serve the people of God? How can I love and serve my family, my neighbors, my community, my my coworkers? In other words, life isn't about me. My life isn't my own anymore. I belong to someone else. I exist for the sake of another. I live for Christ. I want my life to magnify his name. I am a distant second. But see, here's the twist. When we approach our days as a doulos or as a servant of Jesus, instead of feeling like a slave or feeling like we're in bondage, we actually experience freedom and life and joy. And I'm convinced that this is one of the mindsets that created joy in Paul's life. Come on, the guy was in prison, right? Chained between two Roman soldiers. Circumstances far from ideal in our eyes. I mean, I get kind of testy about wearing a mask. Thank you. That was Olivia, my nine-year-old. And yet Paul would have more joy than we have on our best days. 
You could take his freedom, but you can't steal his joy. Because his mindset and his identity were grounded, were wrapped up in Christ. He lived to serve Jesus, and he trusted God that he could be a slave for Jesus in any and every circumstance. If he was allowed to walk the streets of Philippi as a free man, he would be a servant of Christ there. You throw him into prison in Rome, he would serve Jesus faithfully and joyfully there because he had the mind of a doulos, of a slave. Now this letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, like all of Paul's letters would be, would be read out loud in the churches. They didn't have written copies of the New Testament like we do. And so when it was read out loud, there were different groups of people in these churches. Oftentimes there would be both Jews and Gentiles. And so I wonder, like, if you were one of these people, would, would they hear what Paul was saying from, uh, from different perspectives? I bet they would. You know, for the Gentile or, or, or somebody maybe who had a Roman background, the concept of willingly submitting yourself as a servant to someone was unthinkable. Like, it would have been just absurd because they prided themselves in their freedom and would never identify as a bondservant. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, that's right. It sounds like Americans. Totally. Well, what about a Jew? How would a Jew hear this? Well, if you had a Jewish background, I wondered if your mind would race back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, to Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 15, where a bondservant, after six years of service, on the seventh year, they would be set free. But... But if that bondservant wanted to, because he loved his master, he could choose to continue to serve his master. As a free person, he could willingly submit to enter back into service to his master. And there was a very interesting kind of ceremony that would take place. We're going to read it here in Deuteronomy 15. This is what Moses writes. But if he says to you, this is the bondservant who's been allowed to Go free. I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you. Then you shall take an awl, which is kind of this long spike, you know, it'd be like a big nail. And you put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. And the bondservant would, would freely choose to serve that, that master for the rest of, of his life. Someone who was originally forced into servitude for whatever reason, after their years of serving were completed, would turn around and willingly serve their master for the rest of their lives? Why? Well, it says because they loved him. And that picture is what Paul and Timothy had chosen for their lives. Why? Because they loved their master too. And their master's name was Jesus. See, love is the highest motivator. And why did they love Jesus? Because he first loved them. It's the gospel again. Gotquestions.org says this also about doulos. It says, throughout the New Testament, the word bondservant, slave, or servant is applied metaphorically to someone absolutely devoted to Jesus. And so what caused Timothy and Paul and others to be absolutely devoted to Jesus 
was love for their Savior. They were so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that they decided to give their lives, just give their lives to serve their master. That's the power of the gospel message. That's the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the power of the life and death of the one who came to rescue you and me out of bondage to sin, death, and hell. We just sang that song, love so amazing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And this gospel mindset is what it will take for you to identify yourself the way that Paul and Timothy did as servants or slaves of Jesus, as, as a doulos. Now let's flip to Philippians chapter two. Do you like that? Flip to Philippians. Flip to Philippians chapter two. And, and we're going to read another section here. And I want you to see more about what this doulos mindset looks like, starting in verse five. This is what Paul writes. He says, have this mind among yourselves. There it is again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, one of the greatest things about the Christian faith is that our Lord Jesus, our leader, he didn't just give us instructions on what to do, but he lived it out. He didn't just tell you to go and serve, but he did it. He served. And so Paul, he starts out here just talking about this, this idea of having the mind of, uh, this having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so the reality is you now have access to this different way of thinking this mindset. You couldn't do it before, but now that you're in Christ, now that you have the Spirit of God living in you, you now have the ability to, to have this way of thinking and to develop this mindset. He goes on and says, Jesus, although he was fully God, he didn't account equality with God something to be grasped or something to be clung to, but he emptied himself. The word emptied is the Greek word kenosis, and there's a lot of misconceptions about what Jesus emptied himself of, of when God the Son became Jesus the man. But here's what we can stand firmly on. It's better to think of this emptying of himself as really a laying aside of the privileges of heaven. Rather than stay on his throne in heaven, Jesus, he made himself nothing. That's what the, uh, the NIV says. The, the NLT translates it this way. He gave up his divine privileges. And as part of that, he veiled his glory and he chose to occupy the position of a slave. And he lived in complete dependency on God the Father. I love the way uh, one scholar put it. Uh, this is a guy named Stephen Wellham. He wrote this. The kenosis was a self-renunciation, not an emptying himself of deity, nor was it an exchange of deity for humanity. Jesus never ceased to be God during any part of his earthly ministry. He did set aside his heavenly glory, which we talked about. He veiled it. He also voluntarily refrained from using his divinity to make his way easier. During his earthly ministry, Christ completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. He went on and said this, As part of the kenosis, 
Jesus sometimes operated within the limitations of humanity. There's an example where God, you know, generally God does not get tired or thirsty, but Jesus did. We see that in the the story in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. God knows all things, but it seems that at least once, Jesus voluntarily surrendered the use of his omniscience. He said he didn't know the hour or the day when the Son of Man would come again. Other times, Jesus' omniscience was on full display. All right, so if you continue to read in in verse 7, it says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. There's the word again, doulos. You know, Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords could have come to earth uh, on a chariot, clothed in royal robes, but instead he was born as a baby in an obscure location among common people. He could have taken up residence in a palace, but no, he chose the path of a slave, of a bondservant, of a doulos. Because what he wanted us to see is that this mindset is the mindset of the kingdom of God. During his earthly ministry, Jesus taught those who follow him to think like this. He, he said this in Mark 10. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's how our world works. But, this, but he said this, but it shall not be so among you. Whatever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then just a chapter before that in Mark chapter 9, he had his 12 gathered around him and he said this to him. He said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so Mark records the same thing in, in two different places, right? Almost back to back. Why did he do that? Well, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that this was really hard for his followers to get their arms around. And so he had to say it over and over again because they didn't get it. Because the way that our world thinks and the way that our God thinks, are the, they're, they're radically different and at times they're exactly the opposite. And so Jesus not only taught, but he demonstrated doulos. Verse 8 says that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross, again, was the most humiliating form of capital punishment. The whole process of the crucifixion was was filled with shame and, and condemnation. The one who should have been exalted to the highest place was lifted onto a crossbeam where he bled and died between two criminals. And he did it for you and for me. He served us even in his death. See, this is the gospel message, really, that you and I are born into the world sinful and that we're separated from God. And because of our sin, we can't even be in the presence of God. God can't be anywhere near us And so God took an impossible situation and made it possible by serving us, by coming in the flesh, by taking on humanity, living a holy life, and being sacrificed as a sin offering to take away our sin, our wrongdoing. 
Paul said it like this. He said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the cross was the way Jesus paid for our sin and made a way for us to have his righteousness. And so anyone who would receive him as their savior, anyone who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And maybe that's where you're at today, or maybe as you're joining us uh, online, you're at a point where you recognize you need a savior. Like you have, have lived apart from God. And, and just like I did for the first 18 years of my life, you're saying, I need a savior and Jesus is the only way. Well, if that's you, you can either talk to the person you came with. You can come talk to me afterward. Um, if you're joining us online, the, the whole concept though is that, is that it's really simple. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement that you've sinned and that you've offended a holy God and that you need a savior. And so really it's, it's the idea of receiving Jesus and, and inviting him into your life and asking for him to pay for your sin and saying that you want to follow him. And when someone does that, they become a child of God. And see, that reality, that gospel reality transforms the way we think. When we allow that gospel message to permeate every aspect of our life, it really turns our world upside down and we begin to think and live differently. The more we love God, the more we want to freely serve him as our master. And so we get really to the application part of this message. And, and I don't know, this could feel kind of heavy because um, especially if maybe this concept of, of serving is new to you. I want to break this down just for a couple different groups of people. First, I want to I speak to husbands or men who aspire one day to be a husband. Okay, you're called to lead your family. The, the Bible is really clear on that. We're not going to get into that teaching right now. But as part of that calling to lead your family, what you need to figure out is what does that mean to lead? And I, I love the way Tony Evans says this. I, I heard this years ago and it's stuck in my brain. He says, if you want to know who the leader is, look who serves the most and that's the leader. Look who is laying their life down for other people. That's the leader. And so men, don't say to your wife that you don't do dishes or laundry or that you don't you know, do diapers or you don't vacuum or you don't do toilets. When I hear guys say that, I, it's super cringy to me. Like, I don't know how you feel, but like, I'm thinking like, the husband is the lead servant. He's the chief servant in the house. So if something needs to get done, he does it. I consciously want to outserve my wife. If you're a competitive person, Compete with your, your, your wife and outserve her. There's always serving opportunities in my house. The dishes just pile up. We have five kids and now we've got one that's not, no longer living with us, but we have four kids and they eat a ton. It seems like the other night I had one kid come in and he had dinner and then like an hour later, he's like, I'm starving. And he had dinner again. It was a fourth meal. And so there's lots of times that just dishes need to get done. And my goal is as much as I can, when I see that, I'm like, I'm doing the dishes. Because my mindset is I'm the chief servant in my house. If you're not that observant, 
And that's not necessarily a knock against you. Just ask your wife, hey, what do you need me to do? I'll bet you she has a couple of things she could give you to do. <laughs> Be the leader of your family and outserve your wife and everyone else in your household. That's for husbands or, or men who one day want to be a husband. How about for those who, of you who lead here? Maybe you lead in some capacity at New Hope. Maybe you lead um, in the marketplace. Well, I would encourage you, develop a mindset of serving those you lead. Great way to start your day is by asking God to open your eyes to ways that you can serve those who are under your leadership, under your management. It'll transform your work environment. I mean, who doesn't want to work for someone who lays their life down? for them. And then for all of us, if there's ever a time in history where, where we need servants, it's now. I just encourage you, look for tangible ways to serve your neighbors and your community. I mean, I've been blown away when I think about all that's gone on within this church. Tons of people have served and served and served in the last six months. But here's the thing, let's not stop. Like if anything, let's get more of us connected serving in our community. And you can do that with New Hope, but you don't have to do that with New Hope. You can just look around you in your neighborhoods and listen and find out what needs there are and then just meet those needs. And so as we close here, and this is a little redundant, it's, it's, it's exactly what Mark shared last week as we closed, as he closed. If we claim to follow Jesus, then we need to follow Jesus. And Jesus had the mind of a doulos. And so instead of being first, humble yourself, bend the knee and serve. Serve your family, outserve your wife, serve the, 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 the church, serve here at New Hope. Find an area that needs someone's help and just jump in. Serve your neighbors, serve your coworkers. Develop the mindset of a doulos. Because you love your master. Take that all and pierce your ear to the doorframe and willingly become a bondservant for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning just for the example of your son. God, we're constantly saying that, but it's just the truth. I mean, Michael even said that at the start. We just never get over the wonder of the gospel. That God the Son became Jesus the man. That you served us even in your death. You set an example for us. God, we pray that you would, you would more and more just work in us to, to be this kind of person, that we would have this mindset. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.